Welcome to this episode of the ASHA Podcast. I'm Fred Wyatt, Director of Communications with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. Our topic today is HPV in men. Uh, in the summer of 2022, just a few months ago, uh, we, we conducted a survey with men to really ask what they know about HPV and the diseases it can cause. Um, and in a little bit, we'll touch on some highlights from that survey, but just suffice to say for now, we have some work to do to educate and support guys. Um, and we've got some help to as we think through how we can engage with men about HPV and prevention strategies, such as getting vaccinated. We do have a very special guest today, Jason Mendelson, AKA Superman HPV. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we're we're glad that you're taking time to be with us. We know you're busy, so I'll dive right in. Um, we often talk about HPV in the context of cervical cancer, as we should, of course, but high-risk types of the virus really can cause several genital cancers across all genders, in addition to some head and neck cancers. And those head and neck cancers include those of the oropharynx. That's the area of the throat that's just behind the oral cavity. So base of the tongue, the soft palate, the tonsils, the walls of the throat, that general area. And uh, these cancers are actually detected much more often in men. Uh, over 16,000 a year of them uh, related to HPV are detected in men compared to about 3,500 in women. Um, and Jason, I know the head and neck cancer discussion is really where your journey starts, I believe. So would you just talk about your diagnosis and what brought you to become Superman HPV? Sure. Hopefully I don't go on too long. So let me know. Um, back in 2014, I I am president of our family business. I was taking an exam back then. And, and as I was beginning the test to put my hand on my face to ponder a question, move my hand down to my neck and felt a small bump. I will tell you back then I had hair and no beard. This all happened during COVID. Um, shaved my head, grow a beard. But back then I would have noticed a bump that appeared on my neck out of nowhere. And I did, I felt that, passed the tests, showed my dad, who's a doctor, um, this bump on my neck. He said, let's call the ENT, um, the ear, nose and throat doctor, which we did. And he said, come see me in a few weeks. You don't smoke, you don't drink heavily. Um, this was a Thursday. I'm a guy that goes to the doctor just to tell you, and that's probably my number one lesson for guys is make sure that you go to the doctor if you have a concern. So I was at the doctor on a Monday, showed the doctor my neck. He said, in a slight chance, I'm going to put you in 10 days of antibiotics and steroids. In the slight chance this doesn't go away, let's immediately schedule you for a needle biopsy and CAT scan, which they did. And again, I'm, I'm going to run through this quick story for you, but I left two days later for the Florida Keys, ran the equivalent of a 5K. That Sunday flew to DC where I lobbied on Capitol Hill. Wednesday flew home. Thursday had a CAT scan. Friday had a needle biopsy. Monday found out I had stage four HPV-related tonsil cancer. And let me share with you, um, I had never heard of tonsil cancer, had never known anyone to be diagnosed with it, didn't realize HPV could do anything other than cause cervical cancer, and, and was startled and amazed because I literally had no pain, felt perfectly healthy, and just had a small bump on my neck. Wow. So I, I was going to ask you if you had even heard of HPV prior to your diagnosis. It sounds like you had some baseline there. You know what? I, I knew a little bit. My dad's a doctor. We grew up, we were kind of surrounded by medicine. 
Um, and so I knew it had something to do with a sexually transmitted you know, virus. I didn't realize it was the most common sexually transmitted virus on the planet. But at the time, I just knew it had something to do with cervical cancer. And um, no, I'd never heard of it, which was really, um, I will tell you, strange for me. My summer job growing up was to, you know, my dad would, as a dermatologist, would cut out the cancer pieces. I would take it to the pathologist. I was literally surrounded by, by medicine. And um, and so to have a diagnosis that I had never heard of before, and that when I went to research it, I could find very little online, um, was was both just terrifying and, and confusing to me. Yeah, it's a little bit of a double whammy because, like you said, you're looking up all the all the details around the cancer, but then there's this HPV thing that's part of it, and you've got to kind of get up to speed. So, what how does that play into it? Um, I'm curious, what did your healthcare providers tell you when they talked about the HPV piece, or did they really even get into that with you? So, you know what? At that time, they really so. Obviously, and again, this is probably maybe too basic for this call, but you know, when I when you, when I thought of head and neck cancer, the little I researched, a majority of it was caused from people who smoked heavily or excessive alcohol use. You then had the other side, which was HPV related, and back then it was a newer thing, 2014. And so my doctors knew I didn't smoke or drink heavily, and so they all they told me was, I really think it's HPV related. But there was really no information about about HPV other than if I could speak, you know, Please. clearly, freely, yeah. they said you likely got exposed to the HPV virus through oral sex with a woman in college at 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. And so I was just to, you know, lay it out there again, I was 44 when this bump appeared on my neck. I didn't even know what to say. I was like 18 or 19 in college. How is it possible that I would be exposed then? And then I did some research. And again, I should have said from the beginning, I am not a doctor. I am simply a survivor. So I never give medical advice. But the research I did showed that out of 100 people that get exposed to the virus, 99% of the body fights off the virus. They never knew they had it. The 1% like me, the virus can lay dormant in the crypts of the throat for decades. Yeah. And so two years after I actually finished my treatment, my father's best friend at 74 got diagnosed and he had been married 50 years. So again, if you go back to that initial diagnosis, it was all news to me, right? You always hear about lung cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, all these other types of cancers, nothing about oropharyngeal cancer, tongue, throat, tonsil cancer was anywhere back then. So I was honestly perplexed. Absolutely. Yeah. And you really, you bring up a really good point there uh, in the fact that somebody can have HPV really at almost any anatomic site for years, potentially decades without anything ever, ever you know, being a parent without a diagnosis. And when it pops up, if it's within a long-term relationship, sometimes that creates very awkward conversations. You know, you know, one partner may accuse the other of cheating. They both may accuse each other. And that's just not that it's not not necessarily the case most often it's not the case you know um so yeah yeah, I, yeah. And, i can comment on that if you want please. me to so, yeah i'd love for you to so i've been married at that time 17 years i knew my wife since i was a kid um we didn't date until i was in my 20s but um my wife to date we've been married 26 years we have 
three, you know, three kids, twins that are 21, boy, girl, twins, and a 15 year old son. My wife's never tested positive for, for HPV ever. And like I said, we've been married 26 years. And back then when I, which I know we'll get to when I decided to go public, right? We didn't talk about the treatment or which we might talk about here, I assume. But when I decided to go public um, with my diagnosis, one of my wife's friends asked why I wasn't embarrassed. Mm. And she wasn't asking it in a mean way. She was just right. like, why isn't he embarrassed to discuss, you know, an HPV diagnosis, cancer diagnosis publicly? And when I did, again, my research, because I'm kind of a numbers guy, I discovered that three out of four adults by 30 had HPV. Three out of four adults by 30, 62% of freshmen in college. And, and I learned that 40 to, men between the ages of 40 and 60 were the most highly diagnosed decades after being exposed. And I thought if three out of four adults by 30 have this, one, why don't I already know about it? And two, right. why aren't more people talking about it? And so I'm like, I'm going public, hopefully protect the planet from HPV preventable cancers by increasing HPV vaccination rates for boys and girls. Yeah, the, you you know, we refer to HPV as a common cold of sex, you know, because it's almost universal. You're right. At least three out of four have it. Some experts will talk to. I know some of our advisors will sort of tell us, you know, unofficially, they wouldn't be surprised if the numbers are actually a little bit higher than that. But the point is, it's normal. It's common to have HPV, even though, as you as you touched on, most people don't know it. And the majority of cases, you know, they will be cleared naturally by the immune system, but it doesn't always work quite so easily like that. Um, yeah, so a lot to get into here. L uh, you mentioned your treatment. Um, if you don't mind, just, just to get in, this is sort of a patient journey discussion. So would you talk a little bit about your treatment, what you went through and how you coped with it? Sure, happy to do it. So I get diagnosed with this cancer at the time, stage four. Now I will tell you, I'm sure you know, but by the end of 2017, beginning of 18, they downgraded the staging. So had I been diagnosed then, I would have been stage one, not stage four, because men were living, women, men and women were living and the outcomes were positive. So at the end of the day, though, in 2014, I was stage four. Um, I ended up having a radical tonsillectomy neck dissection so i have a scar that runs from the bottom of my right ear to the center of my throat so 42 lymph nodes removed followed by seven weeks of chemo radiation and a feeding tube so i had radiation five days a week for seven weeks i had chemo every thursday it took somewhere between six and eight hours by the time they you know, did all the pre-testing, flushed my kidneys, gave me chemo, my drug was cisplatin, flushed my kidneys again, but that whole process took a long time. And then I had a feeding tube for around eight weeks because I ended up with after treatment. And again, in case people aren't as familiar, when you go through radiation, your head, you have a mask fitted um, to your head. You're then lay flat. Your head is clipped down to a table, your body, but your head is clipped down. Radiation doesn't hurt while you're going through it, but within weeks, many people ended up with, and I did in week four, um, almost five, third degree burns in my throat, mm. sores throughout my mouth. Um, I couldn't swallow my own saliva where I had, I would spit my saliva every time into like a large slurpy sized cup. First time I actually went to pour that down the drain in the sink. Um, my saliva was so thick, it actually wouldn't go down the drain. So I had to scoop it out and dump it into the toilet. Um, and, and 
it was brutal. I would go to sleep at night and it would be as though like within minutes, the saliva was so thick, it would cover my airway. It would be like someone was choking me. And so I was gagging and choking 40 to 60 times a day. So again, I, I bring all that up really to let people know that one, it's a horrible, it's really a brutal experience to go through. And again, that's why I always say, if you can you know, talk to your kid's doctor about having your son or daughter vaccinated, you can spare them from this agony, but potentially this agony, but a few weeks in, because honestly, I'd never known anyone to have this. I even made videos to my kids saying goodbye. Um, and again, just to tell you, because just to give you the impact of that, they went something like this. Um, One day you're going to get married. I'm not going to be there. This is what's important. And they made those videos over and over and over again, because I thought if these are the last thing my kids hear from me, I want them to be perfect. I want to have pauses. I want to have, you know, ums and all the other stuff. And so... Again, I know I went to probably more detail than you wanted, but between the sores in the mouth and, and and all of that, you know, a lot of people, when they think of other cancers, even when I talked to someone two days ago, I deal with probably two to four survivors, patients, caregivers a week from all over the world. And they're always worried about chemo because that's the scary thing for most other cancer right. diagnoses, like the way their hair is going to fall out, which by the way, my head's shaven, right? Didn't fall out. Um, they're worried about the side effects of of chemo, but reality is chemo is a cakewalk compared to radiation when it comes to the head and neck, right? Your hair doesn't fall out. Typically you're not throwing up. It's really how, um, I choke up saying this to you, but I'm a guy that sleeps probably five hours a night. I'm very driven, motivated. I do a lot. I'm president of our family business. I work 50 to 70 hours a week. I work out, I travel, I do all this cancer advocacy work. I will tell you, I was in bed 18 hours a day for probably a month in 2014 while going through treatment. It is so tiring. Honestly, it's, it's, um, get choked up ever even talking about it. Yes. I was so weak. I would have to sit in the shower. Um, I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk steps. I could barely walk from my bedroom to my kitchen and Every day, I would just try to find something positive to get through the day. And so I am, um, if I can spare other people from that through sharing my story to create awareness, that's why I do what I do. And, you know, <clears throat> when I was listening to you, I, I mean, what you're describing would be, of course, tough for anybody, but especially for somebody who's so active and driven as like a dynamo of a lifestyle that had to just be. A, that had to be a special kind of hell that you were just your life was just put on hold i mean you know what so i always tell people and I'm like i'm smiling when i say this to you but i'm tearing up a little bit so back then i was working 50 to 70 hours a week traveling all over the country trying to be you know a great husband date night every week all my kids travel sports and all of a sudden cancer knocks on the door and it has no borders no boundaries doesn't care what color you are, your religion. It doesn't care about anything, right? It knocks on the door mm -hmm. and it takes over. And, and I think a real, really important thing is having a positive attitude and being surrounded by a community, whether it's family, friends, or just cancer support group, because not everyone has a big family. I, I always, I don't know if you'll find this humorous or not, but I always describe my family as like 
the Waltons from years ago. Mm-hmm. If you know John Boy, the Waltons. Mm-hmm. Of course. And my big fat Greek wedding. If you meld those two families together and sprinkle Judaism on top, that's us. My brother actually is my next door neighbor. We're always together. But even if you don't have that and you just, you can join a cancer support group from many different organizations, I think positivity and finding something that you can live for, something that you can shoot for, whether it's a goal or where you're going to be when you beat treatment, I think it's really critical, right? You're not going to focus on the gloom and doom of going through treatment, but where you want to be, where you're going to be next year, who you love that you're fighting for. I think thinking of the future is is critical and you know it's temporary what you're going through. Right. Like it was brutal what I was going through. I'll just tell you, I mean, I know other yeah. people have things worse, but gagging and choking 40 to 60 times a day, so weak you can't stand up, not being able to eat, spitting your saliva. I mean, it was brutal, but I knew that it was temporary. And so I think that's what really made it reasonable to knowing that I was going to get through it. Yeah. And you anticipated my next question. I was going to ask what were some coping strategies and you just laid it out perfectly there. So thank you for, thank you for doing that. Let Um, me add that if it's okay, when I was going through treatment, because people ask this often, so you're laying there, your head's clipped down, you can't move, tongue thrust to the top of the mask. Um, People always ask how you get through it because it's brutal, honestly. Imagine being like that and then not being able to swallow, right? It was tough. Um, And I always tell people, close your eyes and find your happy place. Wherever that happy place is, you need like six to eight minutes to get through treatment, most people. And if you can just close your eyes and find whatever it is that makes you happy, whether it's a beach like the one in my background or music or your kids or whatever it is, family vacation, whatever you, wherever you need to go to get yourself through it, you can separate. I learned how to separate my mind from my body. So my body could go through treatment. My mind was elsewhere. Mm. And I think if everyone can learn how to do that, that makes it all that much easier. Mm. We could probably do an episode just on coping with treatment and the, and the aftermath. Thank you. Thank you for those tips. Um, Yeah. It's, you know, it's just astonishing how resilient uh, you, you had to be and you still are, I'm sure. Um, Let me, uh, so, in the introduction, I mentioned our survey, and I want to share some highlights from that really to get your reaction. So just a quick background. Again, July 2022, Asher conducted a survey with over a thousand men in the U.S. ages 18 to 45. And we were asking what they know about HPV and the diseases that it can cause. And some of the highlights, only 14 percent of the men, Jason, described themselves as being, quote, very knowledgeable about HPV. Uh, a little more than a third of the men didn't know that HPV is even sexually transmitted and fewer than half knew that a person could have HPV potentially for years with no signs or symptoms, as you as you discussed. Um, the guys in our survey were really confused as to what kind of diseases are associated with HPV. Some even thought HPV causes herpes, you know, a completely unrelated sexually transmitted infection. Uh, less than a third of the <clears throat> were aware of HPV's connection with anal and penile cancers, and less than a fourth knew about HPV in oral pharyngeal or head and neck cancers. Um, so yeah, those are some sobering kind of statistics, I think. I mean, you you do so much speaking on this topic. You're obviously a real advocate. When you hear those survey results, I'm just curious, what what's your reaction? I mean, are you surprised? 
I'm actually surprised that the numbers are that high in that I literally travel two to three times a month. Like I told you, I'm on a plane. I'm sitting next to people. They don't know the vaccine that exists is even for boys. They certainly have never heard of tongue, throat, and tonsil cancer virtually. Right. I mean, I tell you the majority of times, um, they don't realize that HPV affects men at all. Um, I am actually surprised that that many people are familiar. And I'd be curious to find out if you actually, you know, delve deeper into when people say that they're familiar or experts or whatever you want to say that they really are knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious, actually, if you actually ask them questions, if they really were as knowledgeable as they said they were, I bet you they are not. So I honestly think it's still a topic that for a lot of people, um, is not even within their wheelhouse of of health knowledge. Um, and quite honestly, back to what I was telling you about myself in 2014, I knew nothing, literally nothing. And even today, more men, you know, obviously, um, oropharyngeal cancer, tongue, throat, tonsil um, impacts women as well. Sure. Whenever I, I always talk about how it impacts men, but, you know, women always remind me, Jason, make sure you mention that it impacts women. But but even today with more men standing up and trying to be, be more vocal regarding their stories, I mean, I find that the majority of people I speak with and audiences I speak with um, are, are surprised about my story. I, I honestly, it's, it's, we are only touching a fraction of the people. And that is one reason that I am truly committed to standing on the tallest mountain to hopefully educate people about not only the HPV um, virus or pharyngeal cancer or the vaccine, but just really anything and why one should never be embarrassed. Honestly, that stigma to me probably is one of the things that drives me the most crazy because right. it is tough to get a cancer diagnosis, any cancer diagnosis, let alone for one person to ever feel ashamed because of it really bothers me and i'm hoping to eliminate that stigma yeah um sometimes when we do these interviews we pull out little nuggets or pearls of wisdom and just sort of do standalone audio clips and i think you just gave me a perfect one for this one so thank you for that you're welcome uh so you mentioned that you know when you're out talking and speaking uh the guys basically are just clueless about this they really don't even just don't understand the connection they don't understand hpv just curious though, once you're once you've interacted with them and given them some education, what what kind of questions do they have? I mean, I'm assuming they have questions. Maybe they just don't even say anything. But do the guys talk with you? And if they do, what are they what what are they kind of asking you about? You know, oh, uh, so I mean, there's many questions, right? I mean, normally the question I get most often is from from a man that says, "Can I still get the vaccine?" Right? I mean, that's what they want to know. Like when they hear the statistics three out of four adults by 30 or more. They all want to know, you know, with divorce rates higher and everything happening and people dating at older ages, they always want to know, right. Can I get the vaccine? I'm always like, you need to speak to your family practice doctor, your internist. That's one. They want it. They all want to know this. Like, how do you know if you have it? Is there a test? Right. And so obviously everyone knows that a woman can have a pap smear for cervical cancer, but they want to know immediately they typically touch their neck, right? Because I always say, if you have a bump that appears out of nowhere, or I always tell them if you have a fishbone feeling in your throat or a sore in your mouth that is not healing, 
immediately go to your ear, nose, and throat doctor. They want to know which doctor to go see. And again, I just said it several times, but most of the people I speak with say it took them somewhere between 12 and 24 months to eventually get referred to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. That multiple doctors missed it. They would say something's not right and they keep until eventually they get to an ENT. So I think most people want to know, like, what are the signs possible? You know, what are they, um, what should they be looking out for to know that this should be a concern? Two, is there a way to protect themselves? And then just, I think the knowledge of knowing more fathers specifically always write something down and say, I need to call my wife. She's the one that handles this with my, for my kids. And so I, I don't know if that's where you, what you were asking, but those are most of the discussions that I have with people, what they should look at. Cause they honestly are concerned about themselves. Sure. I mean, that's their, it's their own health. Initially, they immediately touch their neck almost every time. Yeah. Like an involuntary response. Yeah, I can see that. So you bring up a lot of excellent points there. And a lot of that is good, is good to know. It's getting beyond the scope of our discussion today. But in the show notes, uh, I'm going to put some links, Jason, to like uh, signs and symptoms, um, uh, how to talk to your healthcare provider. We've actually done some podcast episodes with the medical professionals who go through the whole whole gamut of treatment and diagnostics and uh, some of the challenges of what you need, how, how, this is how you can talk to your healthcare provider about these matters. So we will link to that, to those things in the show notes. And thank you for bringing that up because that that's incredibly important to give, you know, because that empowers people so that they're, they don't feel like they're just going in um, just completely lost. So we will definitely do that. Did you want me to mention, you asked me about the Superman HPV piece. Do you want me to mention that real quickly? Yeah, please do. Okay. So the short story is after I beat, um, finished my treatment, right? August 11, 2014, finished treatment, rang the bell, thought everything was going to be perfect, which it was, it turned out, you know, the side effects from radiation got worse, but soon got started to get better. I decided to go public in 2017 and my friends called me Superman during chemo and radiation. It's not that I'm a, a jerk who thinks he's a superhero. It's that I thought it was a clever way to draw attention to a diagnosis I had never heard of. So launch Superman HPV to provide inspiration and information for those diagnosed and or researching HPV, the HPV vaccine, HPV-related cancers. Well, when I did that, there was, a, there was a, a woman who was writing an article for NBC who included my, my website into her article. And she called me and said, can I include it? I said, sure. I got like the, the article launched and I got like six emails that said, thank you for so much for for going public, I no longer feel alone. Mm. I emailed her and I said, listen, thanks so much for including me. Six people um, reached out to me. She goes, Jason, you are likely going to end up on NBC Nightly News. Half a million people read the article. And so the next day, our family appeared on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, went public, and since then have done a lot of speaking, really just to hopefully help people. Again, back to the whole point of protecting people from preventable cancer. And that's when, you know, within a year or so, I joined the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. I've been on their executive board. We have an ambassador program. But that, again, was to reach patients, survivors, caregivers. It's a great team of people, but to provide support and education to head and neck cancer survivors and patients. So, again, I threw all that together quickly in case we got um, 
had to end quickly, but I wanted people to know there are great resources for head and neck cancer patients, whether it's my Superman HPV website for HPV related oropharyngeal cancer or the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance website at headandneck.org for all head and neck cancer. Okay, and we will link to all of those in the show notes. That's that, that's really good stuff. And um, you, you've mentioned the vaccine a couple of times, so let's let's talk about that. I mean, we have okay. very effective pre- prevention tools. The most relevant for this discussion is, of course, the vaccine that protects against those high-risk types that are most often found in HPV-related cancers. It also covers the low-risk types that are found in most cases of genital warts. Those are not, uh, not typically linked to cancer, but really effective vaccine, safe. Um, it's, it's been around for years. And, and I'll tell you, in our survey, getting back to that, about a third of the vaccinated men said they received their shots because their healthcare professional recommended it proactively. And I know, Jason, that's that's a big thing is is we understand the importance of uh, the healthcare providers recommendations. So trying to get the, those docs and, and nurses and, and others on board to really push that vaccine, just treat it as a normal part, especially the adolescent vaccine platform. Uh, we think that's important. I'm sure you do, too. I do. I mean, I don't know if you wanted me to comment on that, but. Well, but, uh, yeah, I, and I, I could just kind of left you hanging there, didn't I? So I get well, here, here's my question. So when you're speaking, uh, do you really talk much with healthcare providers and uh, what kind of conversations did you have with them? So recently, probably in the last six months, I've spoken, I've had multiple webinars to healthcare providers and I've spoken at different immunization coalitions, whether it's Pennsylvania, um, Iowa and others. Um, And my message is always the same. When I share my story, you need to, tie the science to the humanity those need to be linked i hope and hope to do a ted talk one day on this mm-hmm. but because the science is irrefutable right like it works right the problem is how do you communicate this to parents who don't understand right they don't think their kids are going to be that like they're not having sex at a young age well blah, 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 whatever they whatever they say but reality is and, and I'm working also closely with St. Jude, just to tell you, who is who is now has a division to increase HPV vaccination rates. But mm. at the end of the day, it is cancer prevention, right? So what do I say to these medical practitioners? I say, you have a great responsibility. You are tremendous people. You are in a position of power to protect future generations of boys and girls from HPV preventable cancer and spare them from what I described today, third degree burns in their throat, videos to their kids saying goodbye. I said, that is your your power, your responsibility. People listen to their doctors. Most of the time I hear people say to me, I gave the vaccine to my, to my son and my daughter because my doctor said that it was important. It should not be an uncomfortable discussion. If there were a vaccine that would protect someone's son from prostate cancer or a, a woman from breast cancer, everybody would give it to their kids, maybe not the anti-vaxxers. So we're not, we're putting them by themselves, but anyone who just wants information and the confidence that what they're doing to protect their kids, because ultimately what is a parent's responsibility? In my opinion, the number one responsibility is to protect their kids. And you can protect your kids from preventable cancer and the doctor who you trust, if they are saying to you with sincerity, this is important, you can protect your kids 
that message will be well received by most parents. Mm. I believe that from the bottom of my heart I, that, I, I, that parents yeah, believe right. that. You're right. And I, I love I love the way you frame it. This is really the vaccine is about cancer prevention. That is so true. And it's just it's so frustrating to think that somebody may have to go through what you went through. when We have this wonderful tool that's safe and effective and widely available. For goodness sakes, let's use it. Let's use it. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, why? I mean, if you're a grandparent, grandparent and you love your grandkids, which I'm sure you do, and if you're a parent and you love your kids, which I'm sure you do, and someone tells you this will protect your grandson or daughter or son or daughter from preventable cancer, who isn't going to do that? Right, right. And I'll just say quickly that the vaccine is available. as It can be given as young as age nine. And some parents, like, you know, to, to one of your points, they're like, well, my kid's not having sex. Yeah, they're not having sex in nine or 10, but that's the idea. Get the vaccine and the protection in place before they start having sex so that when they do, and sometimes it happens, you know, we, we may not always want to believe it, but it happens sooner than we think. But regardless, getting that protection in place when they're young um, really is what will block those HPV infections and keep them from having to go through this. So that that's so that's that's why that's so important. And the vaccine can actually be given now as, as old as age 45. You know, as you, like you were saying, you really need to talk with your doctor, with your child's, you know, uh, healthcare professional to see what what's recommended for you or for them, given given your specific case. But it's out there and it works. So may I, may I comment on one thing? So when you said please. probably not having sex at young ages or how, how you phrased it, I can't recall, but but again, for me, what was really um, interesting, and I learned, I knew nothing about HPV-related anal cancer either until I started asking questions. And I serve on the board of the HPV Cancers Alliance also, which is doing great work. But if you think of this as a skin-to-skin -skin contact, correct? Mm -hmm. Right? So some people, when they hear sex, sex might just think intercourse. But it's a skin-to-skin -skin contact. And so I think... And again, please correct me because I'm not a doctor, but everything I understand says that it's skin to skin contact and, and this vaccine protects the spread of the virus. Right. And right. so you may not think of whatever age teenager having actual intercourse, but skin to skin contact at some age, some teenage age, yes. highly likely. And if, you know, a large percentage of freshmen in college have the virus. It is wise to protect your kids before, long before it is necessary. There's no negative and people say it's more effective at younger ages. Right. Or the most effective at, at younger ages. So get it as close to nine or 10 or 11 as possible. That, that yeah, you, you make some really good points there. We should probably just, just take a second to, to, to make sure we're all on the same page here. Yes. I mean, it, HPV is transmitted through skin to skin contact. That doesn't have to involve penetrative intercourse. It can just simply be rubbing and touching uh, genitals or, or the genitals to anus together. It can be oral sex. And, uh, you know, what one person will say is their definition of sex may not agree with somebody else's. And there's a lot of different ways you can you can encounter the, this kind of skin contact. So that's an excellent point. Even if they're not, quote, going all the way, they can still be doing things to put them at risk for HPV. That's exactly right. And when I was, go well, ahead. I was, say, when I was in college, what we thought about, which... I would assume most people are going to agree with me is that, hey, 
I don't want to get anyone pregnant. Yes, exactly. Oral sex was like exactly. safe. Oral yeah. sex was safe. Who would have thought that yep. by not having intercourse and having oral sex, you actually could end up with cancer decades later? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I, and I think sometimes uh, anal sex, uh, people will engage in that for much the same reason, yet it, it avoids the pregnancy scenario. Um, uh, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, when I was coming along, the, the sexual health horror scenario was getting getting someone pregnant, not that I might get, get an infection while doing so, you know, so that's that's it exactly. I, I honestly, and again, I know this isn't my cancer, but I honestly didn't understand up until I started speaking to anal cancer survivors that you didn't have to have anal sex to have anal cancer. Right. And so that it could, it's just, again, skin to skin contact. So I think there is so much education because even a guy like myself, who is a survivor of tonsil cancer, right? HPV related or pharyngeal cancer. I knew nothing about the other HPV related cancers. I, you know, whether it's from cervical cancer to anal cancer to penile cancer to any of them. So I just know that there's a tremendous amount of education that's needed. But probably the most important point is that we can protect our kids from all of them. Yeah. By giving a vaccine that is allowed safe and available in all states right like it's allowed it's there all you have to do is say yes i'd like it and you're in your and your son or daughter can have the vaccine uh how can listeners connect with you so i'm easily found superman hpv i'm on facebook facebook chat um i'm everywhere instagram it's all superman hpv and i know this will be a new one if anyone needs me, my cell phone, 407-782-5614, 407-782-5614. No one's ever abused it. I've been giving it out literally since 2014. So hopefully this isn't the first time, but I find that I have actually had people text me saying, I need help. Can you please just give me a, a bit of, of inspiration or something? So again, I always tell people, um, use it as you need to reach me on social media, but and if you can't find me there, call the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, and um, and I'll do anything I can to make people's life easier, journey easier. No one should feel alone at all with this cancer. So please reach out. There's plenty of us who can be a part of making your life just a little easier during a time that I'm sure is trying. Jason Mendelson, a survivor and a true Superman, HPV or otherwise. And he's been thank our you. guest today. Jason, thank you for your time. I mean, we really need to engage more with, with everybody, but clearly with men on this topic. And I know you're working uh, tirelessly. Thank you so much for everything that, that you do and for being so generous, not only with us, but really for with everyone. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, the, on, on your program today. It really means a lot, and I hope it makes a difference delighted to do it and thank you intrepid listener for tuning into this conversation check back with us often as we roll out new resources and send feedback you know what do you think about this i mean i know you love jason but if i didn't do such a good job let me know about it if you've got an idea for a future podcast we want to hear that too info at ashasexualhealth.org info at ashasexualhealth.org and we'll post that email in the show notes as well until next time take care everybody be well.